What are the menstrual cycle phases and how do they affect you? How can you support your mind and body during each phase? What's normal and what's not during your period? All that and more on this episode of The Healthiest You. Now, Mike, I have a riddle for you. I visit women about 450 times throughout their lifetime. I influence how they feel. I am sometimes a blessing and other times a curse. Who am I? At first, I thought maybe Santa Claus, but the curse thing puts him out of the running. I'm going to say uh, it's Aunt Flo. Bingo! And that's not Aunt Flo who never misses a family reunion. We're talking about periods or the menstrual cycle, both the good and the bad. Now, today's topic is mostly for the ladies, but, you know, us guys, it's also important for us to know as well. Now, here to talk about the menstrual cycle is Juliana Grandinetti, physician assistant with LVPG Obstetrics and Gynecology. Juliana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before we start into the questions, Mike, I might want to add that we might be hearing from Juliana's dog, Quinn, as well. <laughs> so just in case... Quinn might be making a special appearance. <laughs> well, Quinn may need this information as well. I don't know. Right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. I got some questions for you. Many women struggle with premenstrual syndrome, better known as PMS, right before their period. The dreaded cramps, the fatigue, you name it. What can women do to relieve these symptoms? So, yes, premenstrual syndrome, or also known as PMS, is really characterized by presence of both physical and or behavioral symptoms that occur typically around the time of your period, right? So very cyclical, either prior to the onset of your period or during. The most common behavioral symptoms are usually some sort of mood swings, and the most common physical symptoms are usually fatigue and bloating. So, yes, how can we help relieve these symptoms, right? And typically, there's two sets of categories that we talk about. So mild symptoms or moderate to severe symptoms. If you're noticing really mild symptoms, a lot of the times we first recommend, of course, any sort of lifestyle measures, such as incorporating regular exercise and movement into your routine, really finding ways to reduce stress, such as relaxation therapy. And that can include breathing exercises, meditation and yoga, really prioritizing sleep and getting enough sleep throughout the night, as well as eating a diet rich in complex carbohydrates and calcium rich foods. If you're on the other spectrum where you're really noticing moderate to severe symptoms, where it's starting to impact your activities of daily living and really bothering you, then really talking about the risks and benefits of hormonal versus non-hormonal medications. Regardless, I will say it is important to discuss this really in depth with your provider as PMS can mimic other disorders that really have to be ruled out. How about if you say really bad words while you're doing yoga? Does that benefit you anymore? Get it all out, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Are there vitamins or supplements that can help with PMS? And what about during your period? Definitely. So some vitamins and supplements that have been found to help a lot of the times with PMS is vitamins such as calcium, about 1,200 milligrams per day, magnesium supplements, which can really help with the bloating sensation, water retention, mood symptoms, vitamin E. A lot of the times during our periods, incorporating iron-rich foods or iron supplements if needed, specifically during your period, is really important. But one thing I always do say is that there's so many products out there, especially with social media and advertisements that have been said to help with PMS. But remembering that a lot of these have not been clinically or scientifically proven or tested to be effective. So again, having that discussion with your provider is really important. Uh, what about headaches? 
Can the start of menstruation cause headaches? And do you have any tips for managing the pain? Definitely. So estrogen-associated migraines or menstrual migraines are really triggered by fluctuations in estrogen levels during our period. So again, this typically occurs very cyclically, either a few days prior to the onset or with your periods, and will usually resolve after your period is over. Of course, we always kind of talk about, again, lifestyle interventions, importance of exercising, nourishing our bodies, eating well, sleeping. One big thing, too, that we always talk about is making sure that we're keeping a symptom diary or, you know, a diary kind of focusing on when you get the migraines, how long they last, and if you can kind of know any cyclical route to them and any possible triggers that can be associated with them. Of course, we always talk about preventative therapy with anything. One of the main ones is NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. The most common one that we talk about is naproxen, which is over the counter. Um, but the big thing with this is trying to take it one to two days prior to the onset of your menstrual migraines, right? So that's why that diary is important. So if you can kind of track when you feel like you're going to have a migraine, really taking the medication beforehand to get a better grasp on it, as well as, again, discussion talking about any hormonal versus non-hormonal options. What's considered a regular period each month? So a regular period um, is a period every 21 to 35 days. And that can vary a few days, of course, but it has to be regular for you. So that's different for everyone, but pretty much within that interval is what we say a normal period is. Uh, here's a question. If everyone can is varied, I mean, everyone's different. How heavy is too heavy of a flow? So that's a great question. When we talk about a heavy flow, the medical term that we usually utilize is what's called menorrhagia. And that basically means that you're getting your periods regularly, but you do have a heavy flow to your periods. And what's normal and not normal, right? When we say that, you know, if you're soaking through your pads and changing them multiple times, soaking through clothes, um, that is really not normal. The precautions that we talk about with patients specifically is if you're bleeding through more than two pads an hour for two hours. If that's happening, that definitely requires urgent medical care. So we really, you know, encourage our patients to be very communicative to us. Um, but that is definitely considered too heavy and has to be talked about in terms of managing it. What does it mean to have irregular periods? And are irregular periods a reason to be concerned? So I will start off by saying that, yes. Definitely, irregular periods are a reason to be concerned. They're not considered something that's normal. So, very important to really meet with your provider and speak to them about that. Um, again, medical term that we kind of talk about with irregular periods is metarrhagia, which is irregular intervals where you're getting your periods very unpredictably and you can't really state when your next period is going to come. Of course, on the other end of it, not having a period at all or going several months without a period, also not normal. One thing I will say with any of these things that we're talking about at the period right now, this is for patients without um, contraception. For, so for those who are on any sort of birth control, depending on the type of birth control you are on, it's sometimes totally normal for you not to get a period. So this is really with patients who are not on contraception. Uh, are there any tips to make sure you use a tampon safely? So, yes, definitely takes me back to... My 13, 14-year-old self crying in the bathroom and not, no idea what to do. I have a wonderful mom, and she really guided me through that. But So if you have a parent that you can go to, um, obviously, you know, kind of utilize their insight or a friend. But, of course, you are always welcome to come into our office. I, One of us, any of our providers, will really sit down with you and talk about tampons and how to use them safely. And, of course, it's, it's 
a learning curve. So you may be a little bit uncomfortable at first, but the more that you do it, the more comfortable you will be with it. Are organic tampons or pads important to use? So this is definitely different for everyone, right? So one of the things that we definitely do encourage with any sort of tampon or pad is to really use like non-scented ones. Um, That usually is best. For some patients that are a little bit more sensitive, absolutely some sort of organic tampon or pad or sensitivity-free ones are really great, but not for everyone, so it's a little bit different. But definitely to focus on the non-scented, I think, would be best. I've heard of uh, tampons and I've heard about pads, but what is a menstrual cup and how easy or difficult is it to use? So a menstrual cup, right? I'm sure you have heard a lot about those. So they really have become a popular alternative to pads or tampons. And if you look up pictures of it, um, it looks like kind of like a flexible cup. And that is inserted inside your vagina during your period to collect blood. So the insertion and removal process is, again, quite a learning curve, just as much as a tampon is. Um, it comes with time. However, as long as you are comfortable kind of examining yourself, it definitely is a great option, especially for patients who have a little bit of a heavier menstrual flow. I will give one caveat to um, those who have what's called an intrauterine device or an IUD for their contraception. So one thing that I always tell my patients, if they are using menstrual cups with an IUD, to be very careful because sometimes the suction force from the menstrual cup when you take it out can actually pull the strings a little bit and dislodge the IUD. So just being cognizant of that as well. Is period underwear effective and comfortable? So yes, definitely both effective and comfortable. Absolutely. The material that's used with period underwear is really designed to be absorbent without feeling wet, prevents leaks, neutralizes odors. Um, If you experience any sensitivity or irritation to other products like pad liners, period underwear definitely may be very, very helpful for you. Is it true that periods are a monthly health update for women? So, yes, definitely. As one of my favorite REI physicians that I follow, Dr. Natalie Crawford, she always says your period is a vital sign, which is absolutely true. Not only does it really provide us information for us on your reproductive health, but also your overall health in regards to your thyroid and other vital organs and glands within our system. Now, I happen to use an app myself, but should women track their period? Yes, I highly encourage this. And there is so many apps out there, but honestly, it could be as simple as your Google Calendar, right? So just to get an idea of when you are getting your period. And it's helpful for us because when we see you for your routine gynecological exams, I want to know how often is your period? How long is it? And sometimes it's hard to remember. So being able to track it is really helpful for not only you, but us as providers to make sure that we're giving you all the educational resources for you. What does the color of period blood mean? So, great question. And that varies, right? There's different colors. The most typical one that you do see is bright red bleeding. And that typically means active bleeding. So, the endometrial lining within your uterus is actively shedding. And that's usually what you have during your period, which is the bright red blood. Sometimes you could have um, darker red, brown blood spotting. And that's typically older blood that sometimes is in our vaginal vault, which takes a little bit of time to come out. And that can usually be seen sometimes towards the end of our period when it gets a little bit lighter. Of course, if you have any abnormal color or discharge, either like a yellow or green in appearance, or if it's associated with any itching or irritation at all, that could be a possible underlying vaginal infection. So seeking out your provider is really important if that's going on. Is there anything you should avoid during your period that may worsen symptoms? 
So yeah, they there have been some studies that showed that potentially highly processed foods, sugars, caffeine, alcohol can sometimes worsen your symptoms of periods. Again, that's different for everyone, um, but those have been linked to you know kind of worsen symptoms a little bit. I've learned a lot on this podcast, and I've said some things on this podcast I didn't think I'd ever be saying. But this one I never heard of. Is period poop a real thing? <laughs> it is a real thing. So. What happens is prior to the onset of your period, there is something called prostaglandin. A prostaglandin is released, which the main mechanism of that is to relax the smooth muscle tissues inside your uterus, which ultimately helps you to have a withdrawal bleed during your period. However, prostaglandins can work elsewhere, right? So they have the same effect on our bowels and can ultimately cause increased bowel movements, diarrhea. So yes, ladies, it is a real thing, rest assured. Um, and that is the reason for that. Well, I'm going to follow that up by asking whether or not chocolate can cure anything, including cramps. Uh, what tips do you have to help women ease their cramps and feel better when they're on their period? So the medical term that we kind of talk about with any pain with periods at all is something called dysmenorrhea. And again, that's different for everyone, right? Everyone has a different pain scale, pain tolerance. Um, so yes, actually, chocolate has been found to actually help menstrual cramping. Chocolate contains a bunch of vitamins and minerals, one of them being magnesium, which really helps to kind of relax the muscles. So definitely chocolate helps. Dark chocolate's great. Um, of course, like baseline interventions, right? So kind of as discussed before, making sure you're incorporating exercise into your routine, nourishing your body. And when we talk about exercise, not even necessarily high-intensity workouts, but really low-intensity workouts, walking, stretching, yoga, meditation are all really great mechanisms. Heating pads for the lower pelvic region are also really helpful. Same kind of thing that we talked about with the menstrual migraines is NSAIDs and it's that naproxen medication can also be used for dysmenorrhea. Um, and same concept, right? You want to try and use it one to two days prior to the onset of your cramping. So if you're someone that gets cramping the first day of your period, and knowing that that always happens, trying to start naproxen a couple of days before the, the pain starts. Um, and of course, hormonal contraception, discussing risk benefits, indications of starting that with your provider is really important. But as I said earlier, pain is different for everyone. So if the pain is persistent and you're not really finding any relief with some of the other measures that we talked about, having that conversation with someone is super important. Uh, what are the other phases of the menstrual cycle and how do they impact women? So, yeah, great question. Um, there's four different phases to the menstrual cycle, right? So the menstrual phase is really the one that we've been talking about a lot. And that starts from day one of your period. So the first day that you have a bleed is day one. And again, that's the menstrual phase. As you're going through your period, um, that kind of develops into what's called the follicular phase. And that's when our ovaries release a group of eggs. And eggs are contained within what's called a follicle. Now, when that's released, that stimulates something called our pituitary gland, which is in our brain. And that releases a hormone called FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. Basically, FSH will select one follicle to grow. And mature. So as the follicles grow, it will mature the egg, mature eggs release estrogen, and the estrogen grows, grows, grows in our system. As we have higher estrogen levels, that's what ultimately prepares our endometrial lining, which is the lining inside the uterus for implantation for pregnancy. Um, estrogen dominance is kind of, again, happening from that one mature egg that's growing. Once that happens, 
um, our body stimulates what's called LH or luteinizing hormone, and that's a surge. So it's a pulsatile fashion. And again, released from our brain. And the main job of that is to um, release that egg from the follicle. And that's what we know as ovulation or the ovulatory phase. So again, peak estrogen level, the LH surge causes that egg to be released. And that's what we know as ovulation. Once the ovulation happens, that's when we kind of go into what's called the luteal phase, which is the last phase of the fourth phase. Fourth phase. Um, that is when after the egg is released from the follicle, that remaining follicle turns into what's called the corpus luteum. And the corpus luteum is what makes progesterone. So at this point, right, our egg is released. We have the corpus luteum making progesterone. Our estrogen is at an all-time low now since it peaked already and it's going down. Um, and so, right, if you are getting pregnant, or planning on pregnancy at this point, progesterone is the medication that will support that pregnancy. So the corpus luteum can actually live for up to nine weeks and support that pregnancy during that first trimester. Of course, if we don't get pregnant, then the you know, corpus luteum can live for up to 12 to 14 days. It'll die off. The progesterone significantly drops that level. And then we go back to our menstrual phase and have our period. And we start the whole process over again. Again, this is really for people who are not on um, birth control. So, right, if we're taking birth control, we're supplementing with synthetic hormones, it's a little bit different. But again, this is for patients without any birth control. Is there a connection between energy levels and the menstrual cycle? So there definitely is. Um, again, if you focus on the first day of our period, right, day one, that is when the estrogen and progesterone levels are at their lowest. So, of course, a lot of us women during our periods, we'll sometimes notice dip in energy levels, um, lack of motivation. And this is really when we find a lot of benefit in more relaxation techniques, low impact exercises rather than a fast paced activity. As we start to head into the follicular phase, our levels start to rise a little bit. We may feel a little bit more energized, improvement in our mood, less fluctuations, a lot more sharp and clear focus. As we get to the auditory phase, which as we mentioned, right, high estrogen level, peak estrogen level, and that's really when we feel at our best, highest energy, greatest mood, um, that's kind of when that is happening. And then as we progress into the luteal phase, which is the last phase, that's sometimes when we get to feel those PMS symptoms, just because the estrogen is dropping and now it's predominantly progesterone. And that's characterized by a lot of like bloating, right, water retention, less focus, hungrier, some mood changes. And then we get back into our menstrual cycle, as we discussed. We all have these days where you just have really low energy. You just can't get moving. What do you recommend on low energy days? So great question. And this is really just listening to your body, right? Having body awareness and really giving your body that grace during these low energy days. And that's okay. Prioritizing really good sleep. All the things that we talked about, meditation, stretching, yoga, um, and kind of as we talked about nourishing our diet, iron-rich foods, um, taking it a little bit easier, absolutely incorporating so exercise into your routine. Um, but again, more of that low-impact exercise will go a long way. Let's talk about the trend of cycle syncing. What exactly is it? Yes. Yeah, so this is super interesting. So this was um, kind of first introduced around 2014. And really the concept of it is as we talked about, right, hormonally, physically, emotionally, you have fluctuations that naturally happen throughout all those different phases. So really aligning those needs, whether it's dietary intake, exercise, lifestyle modifications with our menstrual cycles, right? So as we talked about, depending on what phase you're in and really being aware of that, kind of thinking into that, and we can kind of talk about that more um, about what needs are going to be best for us. 
Uh, can women exercise more effectively by syncing their workout routine with their cycle? And how can someone get started? So, yes, and this is kind of what, you know, a lot of the cycle syncing has in mind. So a lot of the time when we talk about right menstrual phase, which is that first phase, again, low hormones, so low impact workouts um, are usually sometimes a little bit more beneficial compared to when we're in the follicular and the ovulatory phase, which is when, you know, we have a little bit of higher estrogen levels, we feel more motivated, we feel more active, um, our mood is improved, so really incorporating more of the high-intensity training Weight training is really, really great during these phases as well. Um, and then as we kind of progress back into that luteal phase when our hormones start to drop a bit, um, again, low-impact workouts, yoga, eat, things like that. But again, listening to your body, that doesn't mean that you have to do those workouts during those phases, um, but really paying attention to that and seeing if you can find some sort of cyclical routine within yourself. Now, chocolate is good anytime, but how mm -hmm. about nutrition? Are there foods that can help someone make the most out of their cycle? There are. So a couple of examples would be, right, so during the menstrual phase when we are shedding our lining, it is an inflammatory process. So incorporating anti-inflammatory agents within our diet, omega-3s, and anti-inflammatory agents can be a bunch of different things that you'll hear. Lots of seasonings like turmeric and cinnamon um, are really great. The luteal phase on the other end, um, which is, you know, again, when you kind of may feel some of those PMS symptoms like bloating, um, so kind of trying to avoid high salt foods um, and increasing fiber and healthy fats into your diet are also super important. All right, we've had a lot of information today. What's the most important thing for women to remember? So I think the most important thing is listen to your body and try not to compare yourself to others um, and really do in what is right for you and what you feel is right. Be mindful. And um, I think that definitely the most, best thing you can do for yourself is tracking those periods and really being cognizant of that. Um, at the end of the day, we are all here to help you. So having that conversation with your provider, I know it may seem embarrassing and scary to talk about periods, but it is really important. It's such a important part of your health to focus on. Juliana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. To learn more about women's health or to schedule an appointment, visit lvhn.org slash women's health. And remember, be safe, be smart, and be the healthiest you.